Who would have ever thought that this season of Christmas would be ushered in uh, and that we would begin commemorating this time of the year with a red cup? And that this would create such a buzz in our culture. For those of you who maybe really don't care or follow anything uh, that's going on with news that's not international or really that important, like this red cup, you may not be aware of the fact that Starbucks decided this year not to put reindeers or snowflakes or anything like that on their cups. And that was perceived by some that they're not Christian and that we shouldn't drink their coffee because they obviously hate Jesus. And that's why one pastor who sort of began this movement um, with uh, online media, you know, with social media. And, you know, but I got to thinking about that. And I just, I don't know, does this change the way you feel about Jesus? I mean, I've never, I'm, just, I'm not defending Starbucks, because God knows they probably need the gospel as much or more than, than anybody. And I say they, like it's a specific culture. It's a company <laughs> that sells coffee. And that's my expectation of them. I have never gone to Starbucks thinking, wow, I hope today that they preach Jesus to me. And No, you know what? God didn't commission them with the gospel. They were started, I think, in Seattle with one purpose, and that was to sell the best cup of coffee they possibly could. So I never in any way <laughs> have gone there looking for Jesus. Now, you see, sharing the gospel is not their job. That's my job. That's your job. I don't go in there to get offended because there's not a snowflake on my cup. I go there to get a good cup of coffee and maybe to share the gospel. To bring Jesus to my world and to, to this society. Do I wish that every company I did business with were Christian? Yeah. Of course I do. I would love that. But I don't live in that world, at least not anymore. I am a missionary. You are a missionary. For those of you who are my age or older, you probably do remember a world where our values and the fact that we were Christian flowed in sync with our people around us, but it, it's not that way anymore. We are Joseph in Egypt. We're Daniel in Babylon. We're Paul in Rome. And I cannot expect that the businesses and my neighbors and the people I know cater to me. I don't demand that they tell me Merry Christmas when I know it's not in their heart. You see, my thinking has shifted. 
I bring Christmas to them. Folks, that's who we are. And that's why we're here. They just sell coffee and clothes and food and their businesses. And many of you work and go and do business at places all around us that are not Christian. Most of the people I do business with, they're not Christian. But neither was the people Joseph did business with. <laughs> or Daniel, or Paul, or so many others before us, or our brothers and sisters today who woke up in Africa and China and India and other places where they're trying to bring the gospel to a world that maybe knows very little about Christmas, no less Jesus. We're quickly becoming a nation that needs the gospel more than ever. This series that we're doing is called Turning Christmas Upside Down, and I said last week that I think Christmas has already been turned upside down in so many ways. There's so many things about it now that we've seen that we see that are just inappropriate, and it's becoming more so. But that's not new. I, I can remember even as a child growing up in a, in a home that maybe would say they're Christians, but we never went to church, and we talked more about Jesus <laughs> at Christmas time than any other time of the year. Uh, kind of like Ricky Bobby, the Jesus I grew up with was a baby, <laughs> perpetually. You know, that's what I thought. That's Jesus. He's, he's you know... And that was way back then. I mean, it's even more so now, just through the madness of marketing and you know, all that we do. You could say this series is really what we're trying to do is turn Christmas back right side up. But to be honest, I haven't seen that in my lifetime. And I'm an old guy, sort of. Every year at Christmas, I mean, we have this conversation every year uh, to some degree how to experience Christmas on a deeper level, and, and why don't they get it? But it's, it's, we are the ones who bring, bring that. And folks, you know, I'm not mad. The gift giving, the holiday parties, that's all well and good. Have fun. I think that's cool. And it's okay to enjoy those things. But it would be such a shame if that's all the Christmas season meant to us. And that was it. Christmas is certainly a time for celebrating. And I think it's a time for sharing. And I think it's a time for reaching out. And I, I know that some of us do more ministry projects, uh, just ourselves or with our families, our communities, than we do at any other time of the year. Maybe you're more generous than any other time of the year. And I, you know, I would have a footnote or an issue and think, hey, as Christians, we should go down and work at CARM or in our neighborhoods or in front of the mall anytime, all the time. We should be doing something, you know. Uh, but there's something about this time of year that brings, us, it brings that out in us. But it's more. Hey, guys, it's so much more than that. And this, Christ, this series is about that so much more. In this series, we're looking at just one part of the Christmas story uh, where the shepherds, these teenage guys in these entry-level jobs are out watching their flock by night. You're so familiar with it. 
I heard it, I think, maybe for the first time from Linus in the peanut Christmas, just as a boy. And then this angel of the Lord appears to them. And in another message, I'm just going to share with you the emotional reaction that they had was overwhelming. They were just frightened, almost to the, to the point of panic, by this angel. Here's what the angel said. And this is in a very familiar passage to a lot of us. It's in Luke chapter 2. Uh, and it begins at the second verse, or excuse me, the eighth, at the eighth verse. And it says this. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And you know what happens next, right? The shepherds got over their fear. They rushed into Bethlehem and they searched until they found Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus who was lying in a manger just as they were told. And then the Bible says that they went through this town spreading the word concerning all that had been told them and all that they had seen. You could say that this was the first Christmas marketing campaign very first. But I don't think their message was, unto us this day is born a Savior. And we, in celebration of that, are having a 30% sale off the sheep uh, out that we left. Who's left with the sheep? But I want you to know, you can get a great deal because it's too late for you know, Black Friday or what. You know, so I don't think that's the way it unfolded. It became that later. But I doubt that was their message. And then the Bible says this in verse 18. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They were amazed. And the next verse is what this particular message today is really all about. Luke tells us this in verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. In that verse, we discover the secret to experiencing, I think, a deeper and more meaningful Christmas. She treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. I saw someone post a picture the other day, and it was of Mary, and, and it's like Mary speaking. And you know the song, Mary, Did You Know? It's been sung, uh, I think Mark Lowry is most famous for it. And it's Mary saying, yes, Stop singing that. I knew. I, I knew. <laughs> I knew. She knew, but she pondered this. And what that really means is that she gave deep thought to all these events, and her life suddenly changed overnight in every way, in every way. What do these events mean? And she would think about that. Now, we're still... 20, 
are 19 days away from Christmas. And that's far enough uh, for you to still have time to make this the very best Christmas of your life. How do you do that? Well, it's not by increasing your line of credit. Um, it's just by doing what Mary did. Treasure and ponder. Treasure and ponder. Do some deep thinking about what all this means. There is a movement, uh, somewhat of a revival, I guess, of Celtic Christianity. It, it's experienced uh, somewhat of a resurgence in recent years. And I've seen Baptist and Methodist and non-denominational and all kinds of other Christian folk, you know, within or without of denominations, going back and re-embracing at Christmas, uh, at Easter, at other times, some of these old traditions of what we would think of as Roman Catholic or Celtic Christianity. And I think we realize that, you know, there's a lot of things about that that feel medieval, uh, and you think, well, I don't know how that fits. It's just maybe kind of cool or fun, you know, to, to go back and to embrace that. But there is something to me attractive about those Christians. Maybe it's because I'm Irish. But their lifestyles were in many ways very similar to our lifestyles. And yet in the midst of a, of a very pagan culture, just like us, they learned to incorporate Christ into their daily lives. And they did this, I think, in these these beautiful ways that just, it's like very affectionate and very personal. A clear doctrine of the Trinity emerged in their Celtic poetry and prose, what has survived time. And even the cross itself was significant and central. And you can see this because if you ever even, just in your imagination, think of Irish Christianity or Celtic Christianity or St. Patrick, what do you picture? At least in my imagination, I see that cross. You know, I always see the cross. That's because that was, that was important. And they had to deal with the fear of political and economic instability, uh, the fear of being raided by the Romans or uh, the, some bands and tribes among the Irish and the Vikings were coming. And just as we don't know what the future is going to hold, and we live in a society where we're always looking at our borders and we're always, uh, especially now, this week, in this time, where we see terrorism on the rise and we see us being attacked in ways that we never imagined on our, in our own country. We don't know what the year will bring. They felt the same way. Life was hard in those days. Our water went out this morning. We, we woke up and I, I went to the faucet in the bathroom and I flipped it on. How many of you live in West Knoxville and you were affected? Okay, yeah, I thought so because your hair looks really funny and you just put a lot of paste in it. You know, I thought, well, I'll try that and, you know, I just won't shave. I'll just extend the November thing into December. I'll do, you know, and... Uh, and it came back on at the last minute, but I thought just a simple thing like running water <laughs> has made life so much easier and so much more convenient. They didn't have any of that. But their writings, 
least the ones that we still have from, from that Celtic, that, that, that era, reveal a people who had discovered the joy of abiding in Christ. They incorporated their Christian faith into activities throughout the day. And this is one of the things that I'm attracted to or that I, I like. Because every day, without having you know, a big religious ceremony, they just found these moments and these, these little traditions and customs to celebrate the presence of God. For example, I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. Uh, most people wash their face first thing in the morning, unless your water is not there, and then you start thinking these crazy thoughts like, oh, I've got a bottled water in the back seat of my car. I can shave with that and brush my teeth. I, I, you know, you go into all these other plans. But they made this simple act an act of worship. They would splash their face with water three times and pray, the palm full of the God of life, the palm full of the Christ of love, the palm full of the spirit of peace, trinity of grace. I mean, their day is just getting started. They're just washing their face and they're already worshiping. So I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to say, every time I shave, I'm going to say, you know, in the name of the Father and the Son, and sin be gone from my life, you know, just as these whiskers, I don't know. <laughs> Still working on it. Oh, thou coffee that I, you know, I, I don't know. But I'm going to, even when they would clothe their children, the children were encouraged to pray as the parents were dressing them. And it was very simple. But they would say this, even as I clothe my body with wool, Cover thou my soul with the shadow of thy wings. Isn't that beautiful? That their day, they're just washing their face and putting their clothes on, and their, their thoughts, their focus is already on Christ. Their lives were busy and stressful, just like ours, but throughout the day, each event became an opportunity for prayer. And as they kindled the fire, as they made the bread, um, as, they, as they cooked food or scattered seed or repaired things or everything was offered in the name of God. I just like that. I like that thought. You know what that is? It's treasuring and pondering. One of the things that happened to me when I was a college student is that I had begun to walk with Christ and I was introduced to the idea of having a daily quiet time. And I did that. I did it so much that it actually became a legalistic part of my life where I felt like I'm in sin today because I didn't spend 29 minutes and 59 seconds uh, alone with God. But one of the things I prayed during that time was, God, would you build in to, to my life and to my day miniature quiet times? Just one minute, two minute quiet times all throughout my day. And God began to bless that. I have... A good imagination. I'm not skillful or talented at, at most things, but I have a great imagination. And so all throughout the day, I would just see little things that would remind me of Jesus. And I didn't realize that God was, had begun to tutor me and disciple and mentor me in this art. It's just thinking deeply about the meaning of it all. And about how God fits into the surroundings of our so today, I want to take that, that ancient idea, that practice, and to make it real for us in regards to Christmas. 
I'm going to challenge you to, to approach the remainder of Christmas with that kind of mindset, okay? To find Christ in every aspect of the season. And like Mary, uh, to treasure and to ponder and to think deeply about what does all this really mean? Because I don't think as followers of Jesus, we're going to be able to project that onto our culture that is very swiftly you know, moving away into more of a secular mindset. I don't think we can bring Christmas or Jesus back to them, back to our friends and neighbors and family and the people that we care about until we get that, until it's genuine, you know, and, and that, that we rediscover our own passion. So I'm going to suggest five areas, okay? And you might want to write these down or, or punch them in or whatever it is you do, memorize them. Uh, so we can do this together as we continue turning Christmas upside down. Um, and so here's five quick, simple ideas. Number one, whenever you buy, wrap, which I hardly ever do, give or open a gift, think about what all a gift represents. When you give a gift. For example, you could say that each gift symbolizes the greatest gift of all. The gift that God has given us in Christ. Because, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So as you wrap the gift or drop it into a bag, boom, you could think of how the gift of God was wrapped in swaddling clothes. I know some of you think, Dan, this is a little cheesy. I know, but that's okay. Just embrace it. You, you could think about how the creator of the universe left behind the glory of heaven to come to us as an innocent child because I can't think of anything more fragile or vulnerable or helpless than a baby. Can you? Anything more defenseless than a newborn child? How he left heaven and came to us like that in this dark and toxic and dangerous world in the most humble of circumstances to live a life of Poverty and humble submission to the will of God the Father so that through him we could experience the riches of abundant life? Think about that. And when you give a gift, take a moment to reflect on the relationship that that gift represents. Think about more than just, okay, I'm going to buy this because it's under the $20 limit and it's not really, really ugly. Uh, I'm running out of time. The party's tomorrow night. Hopefully they'll like it a little bit. I'm, I'm out of here. Instead, stop and think about what that relationship means to you and how blessed you are to have him or her as a part of your life. And that your relationship has at least developed to the point, maybe it's not you know, intimate or you're even close friends, but you've got this place in their life where you can give a gift. There's that moment to thank God for them. You can even do that as you're shopping. 
And then as you open each gift, think not only of this one gift, this set of hand towels that you've been longing for, or this oversized sweater you don't know when or where you're going to wear. But think of all the gifts you've received. The fact that God has placed such good people in your life. And that he's poured out so many blessings to you in so many ways. Let each gift point you to something bigger than just the gift itself. Let it be about appreciation for the giver and for the recipient. And let it remind you of the greatest gift of all, his son Jesus. The second idea, the second thing to treasure and ponder. Whenever you hear a Christmas carol, think about the words being sung. And I say this because I, I grew up enjoying a different kind of style of music, and I just, I don't, I just didn't embrace Christmas music. I just, I'm just really confessing and being transparent. I've changed before you shake your head and go, oh, bless his heart. I like it better now. But all the Christian stations, immediately Christmas, I think the DJs go, oh, fine, is Jonathan, are you in the room? Okay, you just not listen to this part just for a second. He's at one of the best Christian stations in town, the best Christian station by far. But they all just go to Christmas music. It's like, oh, we don't have to think about programming. We just want to play Christmas carols. <laughs> Except for that station. <laughs> Still plays powerful, godly praise music. But I just think, man, I just think, you know, but think, but you know what changed that for me? Is I began to listen to the words. Oh, my goodness. Listen to Christmas songs. One of the great things about this season is that you can walk into a typical retail store and the chances are really good you're going to hear people singing about Jesus. I mean, when does that happen? Ever. I mean, it just it's only in December. At any other time of the year, you go to Target or Macy's. Do we have a Macy's? We don't even have one. We, we, what, do, what do we have? Bell... Uh, to Walmart, you know, where, wherever you go. And what do you hear? You hear, you know, all kinds of, you know, like pop music or you just hear Adele over and over every day. Uh, what do you, what do you, but at Christmas time, it's different. You go to a public arena and you can hear a choir sing. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. You hear that in a store. When you're in the marketplace, you can hear, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? This, this is Christ, the King. Oh my goodness. And you can hear this, the best known and most popular Christmas song ever written. Silent night, holy night. 
Son of God. Love's pure life. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord at thy birth. It only happens in December. So I encourage you, when you're out shopping for my gift, that you make the most of it. Because in January, it's back to pop music. But let each Christmas carol that you hear be just a moment of worship. Or you can make it a moment of prayer. And as you go about what we call hustle and bustle of the holiday season, whenever you hear a Christmas song, just take a moment to treasure and ponder. There's so much truth and so much good theology so much Bible in these Christmas songs. And here's a third thing to treasure and ponder. You must listen faster. Whenever someone extends Christmas or season's greetings, reflect on the reason for the season. I couldn't do a Christmas message without getting that cliche in at least once. A few years ago, people began to take offense, and I understand, me too, at the way that they were greeted in December. Happy holidays became fighting words. And I remember, I remember getting emotional going, I can't believe you just said that to me. Well, guess what you're gonna get back? Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's what I say to you. Yeah, I mean, you know, and we say it kind of like that. And I just heard this recently because most stores have switched back. You know, there's this. Every, the pendulum always swings, and, and, and clerks and a lot of stores, you can tell they have been coached, which is just as hollow uh, as saying happy holidays. Merry Christmas, you know, they make sure. I don't know if they look at us and they can tell, uh, he looks conservative, middle-aged white guy. Yeah, I'm going to say Merry Christmas to him, and, you know, a hipster comes up and they're going to go, happy holiday. I don't know, or just, or just take this route and go, hmm. Good Tuesday. I don't know. Happy Saturday. Or as Joe says, Saturday. Um, and I saw a lady recently, though, that she, it was a happy holiday, and she interrupted the clerk. Merry Christmas! Dadgummit! You know, I mean, I just think, I don't know if the Mary is really there or Christ. It, all you've got is must. Just must, you know, because... Um, it's not a whole lot of merry in your Christmas. It's just shot through with resentment. Now, when somebody wishes me happy holidays, to be honest, it just, I don't, I don't, I'm not a snowflake, okay? I am not, I started to say, a University of Tennessee student that has to be sheltered from this. And I just want to warn you, this is not a safe place. This is going to be dangerous. We're going to, I'm just kidding because I'm not, but, um, I just couldn't resist getting this little. But I, I, just, I, I like being reminded. You know what holiday means? It means holy day. I think, yeah, you're right. These are holy days. So whatever you hear, anytime you hear whatever kind of greeting it is, just stop and thank God for the gift of his son, for the reason for the season. 
you can imagine how would this change my outlook if I'm not getting hung up in the words. At least during this season, we can hear a reference to Christ almost every day in a greeting. Think about that. So whenever you hear Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays or Yo, what's up? Just take a moment to treasure and ponder and think about the one we celebrate. Idea number four. Whenever you see a symbol, think about what it could represent. Now, according to folklore, and I have tried because I wanted this to be 100% true without a shadow of a doubt so badly that I almost left out the word folklore and I put it back in because I know some of you may Google it and think, well, we don't know that that's 100% true, but I hope it is. In 1670, in, in Cone, which is spelled like Cologne, uh, Germany, the choir master at Cologne Cathedral, wishing to remedy the noise caused by uh, uh, children in his church uh, during the living, uh, it's like a nativity scene, it was a tradition to do on Christmas Eve, asked a local candy maker for some sweet sticks to give the children. And in order to justify the practice of giving candy, to children during a worship service, because back then, even more so than now, that just, you just didn't do that. He asked the candy maker, add a crook at the top of each stick that would help the children to be reminded of and to remember the shepherds who paid a visit to the infant Jesus. In addition, he used the white color of the sticks to teach children about the Christian belief in the sinless life of Christ. And from Germany, the candy cane spread to other parts of Europe where they were handed out during plays reenacting the nativity scene. As such, according to this legend and the practice that we really did see unfold at that time, the candy cane became associated with Christmas. Now, I grew up and there were certain things and I wondered later, why do we, why do we not eat walnuts and those little orange slices, and we only eat them at Christmas on my, at my grandmother's house. I thought, you not, can they, you not buy those the rest of the year? I don't know, but this was associated with just that. But now, every time I see a candy cane, I think of Christ. I, I really do. And I encourage you to do this with every Christian symbol you see. For example, a Christmas tree, which is more of a, one of the... Christmas traditions that was Christian uh, is evergreen year round. It's eternally, and it reminds me of the eternal life that I have in Jesus. Uh, the tree is covered with ornaments, which remind me of how Christ has decorated my life and made it into something beautiful. And when you turn on Christmas lights, you can think about how Jesus was the true light, which is how the Hebrews always related to God, was that he brought light, light, light. And his presence would bring light into all of our lives. When you're driving through a neighborhood and you see a house decorated and full of lights, you can take the opportunity to say a quick prayer. I did this last night, walking my dog in my neighborhood as I would pass the houses. Um, I, I would take a, just, a mo just a quick prayer. Uh, Lord, may those who dwell in this house experience the beauty and the light of life that you bring to all who put their trust in you. Amen. Instead of worrying about and complaining about everybody else in the world and how they get Christmas all wrong, decide today that you're not going to miss a chance 
to see the gospel message in these symbols of the season. And for those of you who have children, you can make a game out of this with your family, asking everybody, well, what does this symbol speak to you about Jesus? How does, how does this communicate to you? Do you want to turn Christmas upside down? Treasure and ponder each symbol and let them point you back to Jesus. Now, here's the fifth thing. Whenever you hear the bell ring, let it be a call to action. Whenever you hear the bell ring. Now, of course, it can be any bell that you hear, but I'm thinking about one bell in particular that you hear this time of year uh, that you don't hear any other time. It's by faithful people ringing those as they stand out in front of the shopping center or the grocery store or the mall in the freezing cold in front of that little red bucket, giving you the opportunity to make Christmas better for a lot of people. I'm not doing an organization, a uh, commercial, you know, for Salvation Army, but I can tell I used to have a little radio show here in Knoxville, and um, I was pretty famous, pretty famous. And But one of my guests went out, I just interviewed local businesses and organizations and ministries, and, and I had the Salvation Army on. I had to research, before they came on, I wanted to know, to ask good questions. And, I, and as I remember, as I thought about them, oh, these, these folks are the real deal. I mean, it was one of the organizations I thought, I can get behind, I can give to this, because I believe in what they do. Salvation Army was founded in 1865 in London, in a slum, by a man named William Booth. And every time you hear a bell this December, let it remind you that Jesus came to bring peace on the earth, and that he called us to join him in spreading that message. Let that bell be just a little call to action on your part to be an agent of peace, to be an agent of hope in a world that knows very little peace. We saw on a news magazine cover this week that many have lost all hope and faith and belief and prayer in God. We are the ones who bring that back. So let that bell be a call to action. Jesus came to this world to bring peace, to bring salvation, and he calls us to be a part of that. So if you want to turn Christmas upside down so that the meaning of that special day, first of all, really gets inside you, the deepest part of you, then follow Mary's example. Treasure and ponder. Think deeply about every aspect of the Christmas season. And when you look for Jesus everywhere, then that's where you're going to find him. In every gift, remember that he's the greatest gift of all gifts. In every song, remember that he's the truth that we sing. In every greeting, remember that he is the reason for the season. And every symbol, remember that he brings new meaning. And in the sound of every bell, remember that he's called us, you and me, to be the agents of peace. When you look for Jesus everywhere, that's where you'll find him. 
So if you want to turn Christmas upside down, treasure and ponder every aspect of this holy season. The more you think about it, the more you'll experience it.